Chris the Goat, he has a podcast, yeah. Chris the Goat, it's called the Goat Man Show. He's a Capricorn hippie, banjo loving hillbilly. He lives in Missouri. It's the Goat Man Show, yeah. Who is Chris the Goat? What is this podcast even about? All of these questions and more will not be addressed. Welcome to the Goatman Show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back. This is Chris DeGoat. You are listening to the Goatman Show. So recently, um, I had a conversation uh, with a coworker and a good friend of mine, and it stemmed into the question of how do you communicate with somebody that has anxiety uh, coming from somebody who uh, has said to me that hasn't experienced anxiety themselves. So what I want to do today is kind of give an episode on to anybody who's curious about uh, anxiety or depression to kind of give them an open view into kind of, you know, what it is and how it impacts somebody who has it. Um, I do take medication for it. I take uh, deluxetine or what the fancy name is, Cymbalta or the name brand. Um, and that's for anxiety, depression, and nerve pain. So I'm somebody who has plenty of experience in that field. So I feel that's something that I can talk on in an educated matter. And I also want to read a couple of facts off of a statistic website, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, just to kind of give, you know, some context into what I'm talking about. So... I'm not going to lie. The making of the episode, um, it, it, it did give me anxiety at first when I thought about how to do it. And I really didn't think much about it because it's something I feel just needs to be talked about from just as it comes naturally, you know, without any forethought, because it's how I do best with my uh, thinking is it usually just comes from a huge swarm of ideas uh, they kind of play into each other and ultimately gets me to my final goal, which there's a lot of pit stops. So anybody that's listened to the show, whenever there's nobody else talking with me, you know, even when somebody's talking with me, I go to a lot of places. Eventually I get around to where I'm at, but, uh, my brain always just gets lost whenever there's too much trying to get processed at once because I, I process so much at once, which is part of my personal anxiety. I feel, um, so I first want to talk about what anxiety is. Anxiety, um, and, and I want to start uh, before that with saying that anybody who says they have anxiety or depression just to be trendy uh, and to get attention should be really ashamed because neither one is something that we want to have and neither one is fun to deal with. And anybody who hasn't dealt with it, you know, um, I think it's something to be very thankful for because it's horrifying. It's horrible. And it's uh, it's like a trap, you know. Anxiety is a very, it's a very physical, I think it's more of a physical than a mental thing, uh, but it's both. So whenever you have anxiety, your heart will race, uh, you'll sweat, you'll have a, uh, a, a sense of panic, um, a sense of fear, a sense of impending doom, um, and it can be stemmed from anything at all honestly um it could be social gatherings it could be 
um, tests, you know, whenever you're in your younger days, it could be confrontation, it could be work, it could be um, anything really. I mean, you know, those are just some examples of some of the more common ones, but it's like, there's really, not everybody knows what the trigger is, you know, like my trigger, um, some of the things is after I've considered something and I've made my decision, you know, and I've said, no, it's not something I'm interested in or want to talk about or do or whatever, you know, I say no. So then when the other party, you know, is, is, is in a persistence, oh, come on, you know, you know, after a couple times of continuing to try to put something on me, I'm not interested in, then it starts to put this uh, feeling of unease in me and my heart starts to race and I get uncomfortable. It's a very overwhelming sense of being uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, one, one thing I try to do to avoid that is just to avoid situations and people to where that's a thing. Um, and I think the easiest way to explain anxiety in, in the sense of what it does to you mentally, cause that's more of the physical thing. It's physically uncomfortable. It's getting kind of, you know, where you're trying to distance yourself, the sweating and the heart racing, you know, that's the physical part. Now the mental part is, uh, being very, you know, wanting to pull away, being almost angry because somebody continues to, to try to push something on you or because you're in a situation that you can't get out of and it's something that you didn't want to happen or, uh, whatever it is that you're in the midst of, you're just stuck there. And, and that's just, that's the mental part is it's, Oh, I need out. I want out. Uh, this is painful. This is, um, stressful. This is not what I want to be in the middle of. I mean, whatever the thoughts may be, that's, that's, I mean, like I said, it's really hard to personify anxiety, but that's, that's kind of what a situation would be, um, or, or an outlook on rather on anxiety. So that way, uh, you know, somebody who doesn't have it can look from an outside view and kind of maybe understand it a little better. Um, I think the easiest way to speak on all of this stuff is going to be from, from what I have, you know, and there's going to be people who listen, who feel exactly what I'm talking about. People who have no clue what I'm talking about. Those who have similar, but different things, you know, and that's, uh, that's a really cool part of this episode is getting to discover, all the different things that people go through because, uh, these are mental illnesses, you know? Um, and it's, people don't, I don't think all the time people you know, will admit to that because they don't like the thought of having a mental illness or disease or whatever it is you want to say, a chemical imbalance, uh, excuse me, a chemical imbalance in your brain. Um, it's not something that we can help, but it's something that happens. And, you know, I think more people who would kind of be open to that and understand it who would be able to get the help for it, uh, would be a lot better off. And I was very standoffish, um, to those kinds of things because I used to be very addicted to narcotics. And, uh, that's one thing I would use to kind of dull my depression and anxiety. Um, I would always be high or try to get high or whatever the case may be in my younger days, you know, uh, pre 21 era, uh, like 14 to 14 to 20, basically, were my real hard part of years. Um, and I tried to use that to cope with a lot of the things that I had had. Um, I do have a history of mental illness in my family as far as depression, anxiety. Um, my mom was a bipolar Gemini, so there was all kinds of personalities to deal with there. Um, 
my dad's kind of a uh, bipolar depressant. Uh, my mom was as well. Um, both have anxiety uh, disorders, you know, and I'm sure other members of the family. And it's, it's, it's something that is hereditary. Um, and a lot of times that the children will get it. And I have to learn and had to learn what it was and what I was dealing with and how to cope with it. But just until recently, within the last uh, probably year and a half now, um, I refused to take medication for it because I didn't want to get dependent on something again because I have been clean off of narcotics since I was 21. And the reason why I got started off narcotics was because I had a back surgery when I was 14. And I got OxyContin uh, in the hospital. Brilliant. Let's give a kid heroin. Let's see what happens. Wind up the string and watch him fucking go down the hill, right? So that's what happened. Um, and then I made the choice to get clean and so on and so forth. But anyway, that's not the moral of the story. Um, but that is something that I had used to cover up anxiety and depression, which is a worthy footnote. Um, so I didn't want to take the medication for it. But since I, I have started taking Cymbalta... Um, I have been able to manage things a lot easier and it has given me a whole new aspect. Um, and it's a pretty good fix for depression for me. Um, I, I definitely think there's more things I need to do for it, but I am in the midst of, you know, discovering that and going through that process of, uh, figuring out what all's right for me. Um, so on and so forth. So we'll get into my anxiety a little bit. Um, take a break, get into my, uh, you know, kind of what depression is a little bit. And then at the end, I want to just go over some facts and then kind of clear up kind of like what I mentioned at the very, very beginning is that, uh, I don't, you know, appreciate people going out saying that they have this or that just for, you know, a trend. I'm not going to be upset and call them out and say anything, you know, I'm not, it's not like a stolen valor kind of a situation, you know, or anything like that. Um, but I definitely feel that you should be ashamed and I hope that you don't have to go through it because if you really did, you know, then it would be a whole different situation. You know, it's not trendy. People that are depressed aren't depressed for attention. They're not anxious for depression. It's not something like that. Um, my anxiety stems from a few things. Um, really, like I, the first thing I mentioned was uh, whenever I say that there's something I don't want and there's a continuation of it. Um, a lot of times that's something that will uh, make me feel anxious and, and there be like an impending thing of what ifs. Um, there's also a lot of times uh, certain responsibilities make me anxious. Um, if I'm ever put in charge of something that I'm not entirely sure of or I don't have the support of somebody else uh, with me or behind me when they're supposed to be. Um, it makes me anxious and puts me in a situation of hypervigilance. Um, and I don't really care too much for uh, confrontations anymore because I used to fight amateur in high school and in my younger days for fun, you know, and I still would. Uh, but I've really toned back since I'm not on the kinds of things that I used to be on. So I don't have the same kind of drive to be actively violent and assertive and dominant and so on and so forth anymore. So, you know, um, in the profession that I work in, there's always the chance uh, for, I don't want to say uh, aggression necessarily, but there is the chance for 
um, altercations from time to time, be it physical or verbal or uh, whatever the case may be. So I have to have a very reliable source on how to cope with that because that's going to be a situation that provides anxiety. You know, obviously I don't care for confrontation as far as a disagreement or an argument or somebody trying to intimidate me or threaten me or whatever the case may be, you know. Um, my personality doesn't accept being intimidated. Uh, that's just the the dumbass in me, you know, it always has been. But um, I'll always push forward regardless of, and the way I've learned to cope with anxiety in having something happen that I'm not prepared for. So like the difference between a consensual one-on-one fight or however that is, you know, obviously you have a common goal in mind. You're going to do what you're going to do. But whenever you have somebody uh, step to you that you don't know, it does enhance your uh, fight or flight. And there is a slight anxiety as to all the different scenarios that are running in your head. You know, what's this What's this dude going to do? Where is he going to go? Does he have something on him that could hurt me? Is there a weapon? Is there not a weapon? Uh, you know, and since I have my back surgery, I got to make sure that I protect my myself so I don't have any kind of injury that would upset the hardware. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of thoughts that go through my head. And it all is a negative thing at the time, and it's an irrational thing because uh, my brain likes to think the worst in situations whenever I'm in panic mode. Um, but I've, like I said, in confrontations, I've learned on how to control that, so it's not as big of a thing. But a lot of people who have anxiety can't do that because they easily become overwhelmed with all the different thoughts and emotions and, and scenarios and so on and so forth playing through their minds. Um they're not prepared for something like that. They're not prepared for how to handle that. And it may overwhelm them or scare them. And a lot of people may break down and cry or people may get angry, you know, or there's usually like a large emotional change. Some people just get quiet and run away or walk away or whatever it is. Some people's choices, uh, a mix of the three, you know, and then there's other, you know, variations. That's not all that there is, but you know, there's a, there's a significant change in somebody um, whenever they're met with confrontation or uh, maybe like a, a significant change, say um, a death in the family or the loss of a job or um, anything that's a significant event that can be considered tragic or just life-changing in general. Um, whenever a person who has anxiety disorder um, has, they want control, not overwhelming control, not power. They want control over their situations. They want things to be comfortable. They want things to be non-confrontational. They want things to be where they can trust and it be open and just, just let's talk. Let's be us. Let's not have judgment between us. Let's not have um, hostility. Let's not have assumptions. Let's just be, you know, peaceful hippies and, and, and do our thing. Um, that's the kind of environment somebody who has anxiety wants to have happen. They don't want that confrontation. They want to have something that's familiar, um, you know, which is ironically just exactly like a Capricorn, side note. Um, they want everything to be recognizable. They want things to be to their comfort. Um, and then when things happen that are out of their comfort, that's whenever the, um, the anxiety kicks in and starts to make them either uncomfortable or make them um, nervous or, you know, some of the previous emotions that I've gone through earlier. 
it, it creates unease and it creates unrest and that translates into anxiety. Um, another common situation you're going to find where people go into anxiety is going to be um, in large social gatherings when they don't have control of the coronavirus. I mean, for example, you know, I'm going to leave my personal opinion out of it, but we are getting into a point to where people are so nervous to be around anybody anymore. It's kind of scary to see how the future is going to be because it's almost like it's not going to go back to normal. And I think that it's induced a lot of anxiety in people. And I think we're going to see the numbers after there's different polls and research is done and things in the next couple of years. I think we'll see an increase significantly between depression and anxiety in 2020, just especially from, you know, February, March on because of different examples. Um, I, anxiety is a beast, you know, and it's it's something that will control a person because somebody may not be able to go into a social gathering because they find out there's going to be a person there that they didn't know initially, or um, their whole life is literally in the balance of what makes them anxious and what doesn't make them anxious. And some people, you know, it can be anything from a really mild case to a significantly severe um, crippling case. But there's so many different triggers that, for an example, or just... Um, like I said, a schedule change, an unannounced visit, um, uh, rejecting uh, wishes, uh, personal uh, distaste for a certain kind of music that you're forced to listen to, uh, being forced to go to a kind of restaurant you don't like. I mean, it can be a small change, but like I said, anything that takes that control away makes somebody anxious. Um, and one of the points, I think, to communicate around anxiety is open communication. Uh, one thing personally for me that makes me super anxious is whenever somebody assumes stuff about me. It pisses me off to no end. So, you know, let's say you hear something, you hear a rumor, or God forbid Twitter. Twitter is the fucking worst. Um, and woke people, just throwing that out there too, because that was a whole thing around here for a bit with me. Um, but it's like... People assume stuff. They have no clue what they're talking about. They make you look like an ass, and then you're sitting there. And then they always are like, oh, well, you'll forgive me, right? Or, oh, you know, try to justify it or whatever the case is. And it's like, no, who the fuck are you to try to sit there and tell me who I am? I have no clue who you are. I haven't hardly spoke of you. And if I did, chances are you were being a jackass, and you deserved it. And what I said was justified, and it really wasn't that hateful. It's just you don't want to hear the reality. I feel like... I'm a humble enough person, I can knock you off a few pegs if you are so stupid that you are causing ignorant racism, ignorant division, or ignorant hate when we're all supposed to be uniting. You deserve to hear that you're being a dumbass. And if you disagree with me, that's great. And you can tell me whatever you want in return. And that's the glory of the First Amendment. You can do whatever the fuck you please. But I'll be damned if you're going to sit there and spread stupid things to try to breed other stupid people into just mindless sheep following ignorant bullshit that keeps people divided when the only way we're going to be a single person again is by uniting and that's kind of like with anxiety you want to be uh you know you don't want to have to argue and fight with these dumbass people or with anybody but you know you have to so one of the keys is you have to learn how to work around it um a way to communicate like i was talking about um and one of the ways to work around it is through communication. That's the key to it. You know, just ask questions, talk, just don't, 
don't um, don't try to assume anything. If something doesn't make sense, ask. Try to make sure you understand. And then if you even want to be the whole hypocritical therapist, just repeat back what was said. Okay, so if I understand right, you said blah, 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 which means blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. It might be redundant, but at least we or me will know that you understand what I'm saying. Um, and even what, what bothers me is whenever you understand what I'm saying, we never, <laughs> and you just do it anyway. Complete disregard for wishes is a huge, huge thing. Um, and not only that, but it's like when people put their will on you, that's a huge anxiety thing for me too. Um, I'm not about that life. I, I significantly believe in freedom and other people having their freedom and, you know, there should be expectations of respect for one another. So on in relationships or friendships or whatever the case may be, just civil, civil interactions. Uh, but there should never be control over another person. Um, so for me, the easiest way is just communication, showing interest, um, not assuming, asking questions and understanding, you know, what the conversation's about or whatever. And if you have any doubts, just, you know, again, continue to ask and do what you need to do to understand. Because whenever you are expecting me enough to believe what I'm saying and to make sure there is clarity in what I'm saying and make sure you understand, that makes me feel that you're a whole a whole lot more engaged and that gives me security that it's worth my time and conversation um one thing you'll notice in people is like an initial snap of a change and if you notice that that's probably going to mean that they're starting to get anxious so you know if you ever have the doubt that somebody is anxious you should just ask because um they could probably explain you know if if, if you have that kind of relationship with them they could explain what it is that makes you uh, or made them anxious, or what you said, or what you do, or whatever that triggered it. And that's another step in that that trust and bond and relationship with communication. So that was the first bit, a uh, little bit of anxiety. Oh my god, I cannot English. I do these shows way early in the morning, so uh, sometimes it's, I, yeah, it's a challenge and a half. But, uh, you know, that's the first bit on anxiety. It's kind of a whole thing. Uh, it's really hard to explain, but that's just kind of, you know, just a touch on it. And I think anybody that has it will kind of relate to a lot of those things. And there's there's plenty of other things that happen with it. But overall, it's just a, a, a detachment from comfort and an impending doom because there's nothing you can do to stop it at the time. Or it feels like there's nothing you can do. And it feels like there's no option and everything's closing in around you. Um, and it's just a mentally stressful and physically stressful thing. So uh, we'll be back here in just a few. We're going to touch on depression um, and kind of get into some of what it is. And then uh, at the very last bit, we will go into some facts on some shit um, and all this stuff together and rock and roll with it. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break to digest whatever that was. What's up, kids? You are still listening to Chris to Goat. This is just a semi-commercial well, for myself. So just to let you guys know, anchor.fm slash the Goatman Show is the main page you can get a hold of me. You can either download the app at Anchor, or you can just go to the website, send me a voice message, whether it be love mail, hate mail, a question, or a response to one of our social media posts. I can listen to it personally, react to it, and play it in a future episode, which I really want to do. I think it would be really engaging to have you guys involved. Also, keep in mind, we are on social media. If you're on Parler, Instagram, or Twitter, we are at The Goatman Show. 
You can send us a message on any of those and you can communicate with us, send us memes, any kind of information, or you can request to get on the show and get information on how to do so. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. I'm going to bounce back in so we can listen to me ramble more. Do check us out on social media if you feel so inclined because the goat man loves new friends. And we're back. Chris is done headbutting his studio wall to establish his dominance. What is up? You're back. We're back. Goat man show. Chris to goat. Depression. Depression is a bitch as well. A beast, a bitch, a whore, all that stuff. Naughty things. Naughty, naughty things that I probably shouldn't say because I'm not really about offending people necessarily, even though my humor will get worse as time goes on. Um, but this is kind of an insightful episode. We won't get horribly graphic. Depression is something else. Um, runs in my family and something I do suffer from. And like I said, up till about a year, really more or less just about a half a year ago, honestly, now with my my recent journey. Uh, towards getting medicine ups and, and, and adjustments and so on. Um, depression's a dark place. It makes you unenthused, um, unemotional. It makes you hurt. Um, you don't have joy in things. You don't have a lot of drive. And really, you're just attached. Your whole purpose is, you know, usually you're just, filled with either one solid negative thought that replays or different negative thoughts or just, you know, just a general downbeat, unhappy thing, unhappy being, you know, you're not even really, you don't feel human. You feel like uh, just an existence and a lot of times like, you know, regretful things, bad things, negative things, like you feel like you're a mistake or a waste of air or you are, um, um, you know, just a plague upon the people that you know and love and all these different things. Um, it's, it's an anchor that's tied to your leg that you carry around with you. You know, it's a, it's a sandbags on your shoulder. You know, you can't escape it once you're in it. It's everywhere and it's hard to get yourself into it or out of it. You know, sometimes people express it or express it, um, experience it, uh, in the midst of a tragedy. I know, uh, when my mom passed away, it was very sudden. And that was the biggest trigger that I've had personally. Um, I got the call about 45 minutes before I had to go into work that night. And my sister called me. And, uh, called me and told me about, you know, what had happened. And I called my stepdad and, uh, the coroner was there and everybody else, you know, and he was just, he said, you know, he had to go. There was people there to take care of what they had to take care of. But what ended up happening was she had a, uh, she had a sudden heart attack and she had died in the kitchen while she was making tea. Which is hilarious. And I know that's really fucked to say. I get it. <laughs> but you got to understand how much this woman loved her sweet tea. I mean, she would make tea uh, uh, probably twice a day sometimes. She fucking loved her sweet tea. Old country bitch. Love her to death. She, we had a very unique relationship. You know, she was my go-to and the one that I would always confide in with stuff, which is what kicked in the depression because it was a very hard thing to have happen and to accept. Um, but what had happened was she wasn't feeling well. 
um, from what my stepdad, you know, had told us. And he had to run into town to go get something. Uh, and they were out in the country. They're about 20 minutes from the nearest town. So he had to go out and he made it to a Dollar General because they're out in the cornfields everywhere. Um, and then when he came back, uh, the dog was barking inside and he ran into the kitchen and found her. Um, and that was single-handedly the hardest phone call and the hardest realization I ever had in my life because she lived um, a state away. And at my work at the time, it was busy. I didn't have time or a chance to get off at that time. Um, I didn't quite have any time planned to go see her at that particular moment when it had happened. Uh, but we were talking about me taking off work to go and find some time to go to go up there. And I had just talked to her that morning, actually, which was really, uh, you know, I'm thankful for that at least. You know, at least I did get to talk to her the day of. Um, but I hadn't seen her in a year. So it was, you know, almost like an unfinished business instantly. But the depression didn't hit right away. It took time. It, it wasn't until after um, the shock had settled. And I had made it to the, the viewing and her cremation. Um, that's when it hit. And it was truly being lost. Um, it was a, a just a darkness, a weight. Um, like something was taken from me that I couldn't understand. Like almost how I imagine a mother would feel if she lost a child. It's probably the same, but obviously reversed. Um, you know, it's like there's an irreplaceable piece that's gone. And when you focus on it, you can still feel it. But it was, it was the hardest realization I ever went through. And all I could do is sit there and repeat in my head, I will never get to do this or this or that again. I will never get to call her again. I'll never get to see her again. I'll never get to do this, 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 or that again. You know, I can't tell you how many hundreds of thousands of times that'll sit there and play in your head. Meanwhile, you, you know, you let personal relationships suffer. You don't care to keep in contact with people as much. You don't care to do anything. You just want to sit around and just be isolate and to yourself and, draw the curtains and let it be dark and you know like i said you continue to hurt and ache and you know it's 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 a misery and it's what happens is your brain has a uh, a chemical imbalance and things don't process and transfer the way they need to and when that happens you get to an extremely sad state um it's just extraordinary sadness is what it is and the symptoms that go along with it and, uh, you know, at my, at my personal worst, I didn't, you know, care to hardly answer the phone. Um, I didn't care about social media. I could easily get straight off of work and go to bed, sleep until I had to go to work the next night, get up, shower, go back to work, straight home, go back to bed. I mean, I had no life. I had no desire. Um... You have no drive. You have you have nothing really. There's no hope. 
there's no needs for anything really you don't want to eat you don't care to drink you don't take care of your personal needs your basic needs you don't you know there's just no desire for it because you you don't have the same functionale as you once did being you know what what at one point you would consider normal instead of being depressed or being off in a different place and um, thinking the way that you do now um, and so on and so forth and it's definitely something that you don't want to have to go through for an extended period of time and if you do start going through it for an extended period of time then it starts uh, posing the potential for permanent damage because then you are living in a way that you're not supposed to be that normally you don't be living in and you don't be feeling that way so you don't be doing right whenever you don't be taking care of yourself and i i myself had to learn that lesson you know um the brain is a precious thing and your mind and your personality and yourself you you are a beautiful healthy individual soul uh, some of us are sick motherfuckers some of us are crazy motherfuckers some of us are annoying motherfuckers but we're all motherfuckers together and the whole point of all that stupid shit you know is we all have to try to care for one another and even if you don't take that personal responsibility um, to love other people or to be good to them at least let them be to do themselves um, because a lot of the depression stuff if it's not from just a, a disorder from um, being hereditary you know it is something that's onset it's something that could have been previously controlled it could have been you know uh, a bullying incident or something similar to that or you know step parent abuse or any kind of abuse um, you know if you don't care for somebody just just don't ruin them because their mentality and their personality and their health their mental health is all they have for their quality of life and it doesn't give anybody the right to go and challenge that for somebody else just to make them feel supreme it's bullshit um, I've had a lot of mentally manipulative people uh, in my life and in my past and it got to a point to where I was tired of being you know submissive in my younger days to an extent when I was in the positions that I was you know, um, and I vowed to, and to this day, I will never be put into another situation, especially a relationship that puts me at a disadvantage to where I am controlled because that triggers depression for me. Um, because I believe that all of us, be you man, woman, whatever, you should be able to, and have the responsibility to protect yourself. And anybody that, oh, bless you too, my dog is over there stretching yawning at me um everybody has their rights to be themselves but everybody also has the responsibility to take care of themselves as well um and i think morally everybody has the responsibility to be good to one another and if you can't be just leave them be i mean there's no need there's no need to ruin somebody um there's just no need for it because depression will, I mean, it will take somebody down completely. They can lose interest in uh, groups or a band that they're in or organizations, friends, relatives, 
um, job. They could end up just quitting to get away from people. Um, you know, all because things didn't have to happen because somebody had to be a dickhole. You know, depression is not something that's fun to go around and say that you have. It's a dark, evil, cold, hurtful place. It, it's like being in a room and you can't see any walls and it's just darkness, no light, no nothing. And you just walk and you walk and you walk and you, you think of the darkest possible scenarios that could happen. And meanwhile, there's like this feeling that everybody around you that you love and care for doesn't really love and care for you and that they all think that you're uh, not good enough of a person for anything. You know, and it's just pure mental torture a lot of times. And uh, it will, it'll take, it'll make giants small. It'll take them to their knees and make them beg for mercy. It's horrifying. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of people who have no control over it. And unfortunately, the only way they feel uh, is true is listening to the, um, to the numbing feeling and the darkness that it causes. And just, uh, they choose to commit suicide to end it. And, uh, I mean, that's how serious of a thing it is. That's how dark it is. And then when you compare it with anxiety and you pair it with it as well, you know, then you have a double jeopardy there. You have uh, an impending doom on top of a, a totally useless and dark feeling. And both of those together just a lot of times when they're enacting one and another are creating a field of just pure sketchiness, pure um, just almost unexplainable pain pain's probably the best word for it it's suffering it's misery know, especially both of them together and if anybody's listening that either has uh, depression or anxiety or feels they may i get not wanting to go to the doctor and i get not wanting to take medicine i get it firsthand but i encourage you to do it because it's worth a shot it's worth at least knowing that something may may make you feel better. I mean, Cymbalta doesn't, you know, for me, and I'm not trying to sell that to you, but uh, for me, it doesn't make me feel any different. That's one of the biggest concerns I had is that it was going to turn me into a zombie. It was going to make me into something weird. It was going to make me into something sketchy, but it doesn't, you know, it makes me feel normal. It just regulates me. It put my old normal, which was at a, a below standard level, you know, like a negative neutral into a neutral neutral or a semi-positive neutral, which is way better than always being down in the dumps. Always way better than that, you know? Um, so for me, it was something successful being on medicine and it helped out. And I feel that, you know, if you're always down or you're always negative or you always feel you're not good enough, it's important to go try to uh, check that out. And, uh, you know, like for me, whenever I'm in a fit of depression, some people, you know, would want to know how to communicate. And it's like, uh, be respectful to the extent of, uh, you know, don't force people to talk about things if they don't want to. And if they're quiet and, you know, whatever, don't try too hard to make them laugh. Don't force them to keep listening to things you think's funny or whatever. You know, they understand that you're trying to help. But sometimes it just makes it worse because it'll bring on anxiety or, you know, their whole point is they just, they're in a particular 
situation or they don't want anybody else, you know, currently at that point talking to them or um, sharing in their pain at the time. So they may not respect as much as what you would like. And it's nothing personal. They just don't want to be overwhelmed at that point. Um, another thing is just, you know, come in with an easy tone. Um, just kind of like a, Hey man, Hey girl, whatever. Um, I know something's up. Just know that if you need anybody to talk to, I'm here for you. No pressure, you know, to somebody who is, you know, having a fit of depression, even though they know better. Um, one of the common things that will go through their head is there's nobody they can talk to. There's nobody that cares enough to listen to their problems. Um, they're going to be a burden. They're going to be a, a trouble. They're going to bother somebody by talking to them. Or whatever the case may be. That's a common thing that goes through their head. Um, and reassurance is good. Because it's not something they can help whenever they don't you know, think about, oh, there's people I can rely on. There's people I can ask for help. There's people I can talk to. So on and so forth. You know, it's when depression kicks in, you don't have that kind of rationale and that kind of a mindset to where you, you remember those things right off the bat because it takes you into a, a, a darker world. I mean, it really does. Everything changes mentally when it comes to depression. Uh, it's a significant monster. Um, yeah, like that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, for me, I don't know about, you know, in general for everybody else, but, you know, just reaffirmation on either caring or support or whatever. Um, if you know what the problem is, you know, when you're close enough to the person and you know what it is, just, uh, you know, sometimes sharing a story about what happened with you or something that makes you feel that way, you know, how they are. Um, sometimes just relating may pull them into a conversation uh, mood where they'd rather be conversating than sitting there quietly and they may kind of share you know start talking and opening up a little um you know and if that doesn't work just say you know so i get it you know um so i'm not here to judge or whatever you know having that affirmation that you're not being judged and that people understand it's something that happens or even if they don't understand you know they're like you know okay no problem um respecting that's another one respecting that Usually when somebody's depressed, they say, hey, you're right. Just say, yeah, just kind of just here, whatever the case is, you know, don't push to talk about it. You know, if you ask once or twice, whatever, but if they say, you know, no, I don't want to talk about it. Just say, hey, not a problem. You know, that's the most respectful thing you can do um, is just just abiding by whatever their wishes are at the time, because causing anxiety with depression is not cool and worsening uh, the stress that somebody may be under. Uh, and trying to force them to do something that you want them to do that they're not willing to is going to be negative and not helpful. So it's really important that you listen to what they're saying and you give them that respect and that uh, appreciation and just try to understand that they're trying to take care of themselves. So, you know, communicating with somebody with uh, depression, you want to keep an open platform. You want to stay uh, positive, you want to stay soft, you want to stay, um, reassuring, you want to stay positive and upbeat. Um, and if you do decide to share a story, you know, just make it real. Don't be, don't try to lie to somebody to make them feel better. Don't just tell stupid corny jokes and stuff. I mean, unless that works for that person, 
but you know just be real because people always sense whenever somebody's being real or not and i think that having somebody that's a real person um is always going to you're always going to have a better chance to get a positive response to that understand people with depression don't function um when they're in depression don't function as somebody who doesn't it's different they're socially more awkward so just try to not take anything personal because whenever you get upset with somebody with depression or anxiety um, and you try to either attack them or you get defensive on them or something in that sense, you're going to make them pull back and uh, it's going to make them feel uncomfortable and to have less of a trust with you and to be able to open up in that sense, I think. Um, that's probably going to be the easiest way to explain that. I don't know what else to say on that business. That's about as good as it gets for me. Um, depression and anxiety both suck. But, you know, just try to be, you know, just as decent human beings anyway. But especially people with those, just try to try to learn. Try to be open-minded. Try to hear it out. Try to relate. And then um, if they're willing to talk to you, then great. Listen to what they say and try to do it. But if they're not willing and they say, I don't want to talk about it, or they seem just, you know, like they're not paying any attention, just leave it be. Leave it with a nice either, hey, I'm here if you need, or if you don't care to listen, just say, okay, I apologize. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable and 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 go on to something else or do whatever else you're doing. By continuing on with the conversation, you're going to make it worse. But by not continuing on, you're going to be showing good things, you know, and you're going to be giving that person the respect of seeing, oh, you know, you don't want me to talk to you about this or that or whatever. And sorry, I had to put juice in my eyes for my contacts. And I don't care to make you uh, uncomfortable. So whenever you just try to accommodate somebody when you know they're uncomfortable, that's going to make them much more open and, 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 and comfortable. But as soon as you have a relationship with somebody with anxiety or depression and you start to understand their individual tics and the severity and degree of their personal illness, um, it won't be hard for you to understand because you will subliminally pretty much know how to handle it after a while. And the person, once they get comfortable with you, they will start to talk to you just like anybody else. And a lot of the things they go through about, oh, I don't like when this happens, or oh, I don't like that kind of a situation, they're inadvertently telling you and informing you on what their anxieties are. And you would be able to make a pretty educated guess on what you should and shouldn't do around them in order to make them feel comfortable. All right, goats, kids, and all you other ghouls and goblins and, and shitters and fucks and flowers and red rockets and dogs. Quit making noise on the recording. I talk to my dog, for those of you who don't know. So we're going to take a break. i got to pee. We'll let him out to go pee. It's cold, surly, and I'm going to wake him up to go pee so he doesn't pee all over my face again. He didn't do it, but, you know, you never know. First time for everything. So um, in the last little bit, we're going to go over just some basic statistics on uh, depression and anxiety, finish it up a little bit more, and um, maybe go into some more on communication with it. And, uh, you know, just some real talk. Let's just discuss it and... Uh, I want to give you a better understanding for, for what it's like to have it and um, hopefully show some of you that have it that, oh shit, there are people that know exactly what's going on. Um, or for those of you who don't, just kind of let you see exactly um, where a good starting point would be on how to understand it or how to tolerate somebody who has it and to be considerate with them and get to understand them more and to kind of get to where they're dealing with. Um, 
So we've already covered that. We're going to continue on with it. Keep on pushing through. Love you guys. Don't go anywhere. I will find you. And I will... (laughs) Jeez, I don't even know what the fuck that was. Chris DeGoat desperately needed a pee break, so we are going to give it to him. And before we know it, that Capricorn hippie banjo-loving hillbilly will be coming back at ya. Stay tuned. What's up, kids? You are still listening to Chris DeGoat. This is just a semi-commercial for myself. So, just to let you guys know, anchor.fm slash Show is the main page you can get a hold of me. You can either download the app at Anchor, or you can just go to the website, send me a voice message, whether it be love mail, hate mail, a question, or a response to one of our social media posts. I can listen to it personally, react to it, and play it in a future episode, which I really want to do. I think it would be really engaging to have you guys involved. Also, keep in mind we are on social media. If you're on Parler, Instagram, or Twitter, we are at The Goatman Show. You can send us a message on any of those, and you can communicate with us, send us memes, any kind of information, or you can request to get on the show and get information on how to do so. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. I'm going to bounce back in so we can listen to me ramble more. Do check us out on social media if you feel so inclined, because the goat man loves new friends. We're back. Welcome back, kids. This is Chris the Goat, and you're listening to the Goat Man Show. And no, I don't mean kids as in children. It's baby goats. Get the fuck over yourself. (laughs) All right, depression and anxiety. Um, We've already covered a little bit on both of them. And uh, what I want to try to do now is talk a little bit about some facts, as well as just some, you know, open discussion on it. What can you do to help somebody with anxiety or depression or you know, how are some ways that you communicate with them to make them uh, more comfortable and to be considered about those things. So uh, we'll talk about some of the facts. Um, so I'm going to be reading everything that I have on me uh, today from the ADAA, which is the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. They have a part on their website where it just has some facts on the front. We're just going to go through Some of these that I could kind of touch a little bit on uh, as well. So uh, generalized anxiety disorder is just, you know, the basic, um, the basic run of the mill anxiety looks like it affects, according to them, uh, 6.8 million adults or 3.1% of the U.S. population, yet only 43.2% are receiving treatment. Women are twice as likely to be affected as men. Uh, GAD often co-occurs with major depression. So, you know, kind of get into a little bit on what we were talking about earlier. So that goes to show you with those numbers, about 6.8 million adults. Um, That's not every single person you come across. So, you know, this whole, oh, I have depression, oh, I have anxiety, you know, to be trendy, kind of gets blown out of the water with that. Um, Next, we'll talk about panic disorder. Which goes along uh, significantly with anxiety. It's a, a high anxiety uh, part. It affects 6 million adults, or 2.7 of the U.S. population. Again, women are twice as likely to be affected as men. Social anxiety disorder, which is something that uh, I had talked about just a little bit earlier, whenever I said, uh, you know, being involved in social situations or large groups or gatherings or people that you don't know, that's going to be one that uh, that hits Looks like that affects 15 million adults, or 6.8 of the U.S. population. Um, Social anxiety disorder. 
is equally common among men and women and typically begins around age 13. According to a 2007 ADAA survey, 36% of people with social anxiety disorder report experiencing symptoms for 10 or more years before seeking help. Um, That's one thing that I can touch on is whatever I'm like at my primary job, um, it's not a big deal because I'm getting paid to be there and it's a comfortable environment for me. But anytime I'm in a new place where I've never done something like maybe an airport or something like that, and there's just everything's new, that gives me anxiety if I don't know what I'm doing because I don't want to look stupid. Um, Specific phobias. So uh, specific phobias affect 19 million adults or 8.7% of the U.S. population. Women are twice as likely to be... I want to look that up, though, because it's really interesting to me how, according to this website, women are always, or almost always, twice as likely to be affected as men. I wonder what the reason behind that is. Um, Symptoms typically begin in childhood. The average age of onset is seven years old. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, or OCD, uh, and post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, are closely related to anxiety disorders which some may experience at the same time, along with depression. So depression really is like the uh, the root cause to a lot of these different kinds of things. So, you know, they just kind of complement it. They're this, the wine with your steak. So really what you need to do is a tackle... Um, I cannot fucking talk this episode, good lord. You need to tackle the stress and anxiety factors first. Or depression. That will take care of everything else because I think anxiety, stress, and other uh, issues are going to be caused because of that. So depression looks like it's the root cause of everything, for the most part. So we get into stress, um, and this is actually a very good definition of it. Everyone experiences stress and anxiety at one time or another. That's facts. Not everybody has an anxiety disorder to where they need medication for it, but people do experience anxiety. Um, And this is actually a really good message on how you can tell if you've ever experienced it or not. Um, it says the difference between them is that stress is a response to a threat in a situation. Anxiety is a reaction to the stress. So stress is a response to a threat in a situation. So that, you know, oh, I'm stressed because I got I to gotta take a test. So I'm going to sit here and you know, I'm just thinking about it. But then the anxiety is what comes with that because that's a rea- that's an onset side effect of stress. That's that's your reaction to it. So uh, let's get into OCD. Uh, obsessive compulsive disorder affects 2.2 million adults or 1% of the U.S. population. OCD is equally common amongst women and women. The average age of onset is 19, with 25% of cases occurring by age 14. One-third of affected adults first experience symptoms in childhood. And, you know, a lot of times that's uh, different ticks or cleaning or certain way things have to be done or um, just certain comfort things for that person to have. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, PTSD affects 7.7 million adults or 3.5% the U.S. population. Uh, women are more likely to be affected than men. It doesn't give me a, a number on how much more. Uh, rape is the most likely trigger of PTSD. 65% of men and 45.9% of women who are raped will develop the disorder. Childhood sexual abuse is a strong... Um, uh, what is that? 
I'm sorry, I got lost on this. Um, child sexual abuse is uh, a strong indicator of lifetime likelihood for developing PTSD. Um, obviously, when you're a child, and if anything happens to you, unfortunately, uh, your brain's still doing a lot of development. So, you know, things obviously are going to have a problem. Major depressive disorder. Um, the leading cause of disability in the U.S. for ages 15 to 44.3. Um, major depressive disorder affects more than 16.1 million American adults. It's about 6.7% of the population age 18 or older in any given year. While major depressive disorder can develop at any age, the median age of onset is 32.5 years. More prevalent in women than in men. Persistent, per oh Lord, persistent depressive disorder or PDD, formerly called I'm not even going to try because I can't English this episode. Fuck it. I'm reading everything out so it all makes sense. Um, persistent depressive disorder is a form of depression that usually continues for at least two years. So it's like a, a significant spell of it. Um, affects approximately 1.5% of the U.S. population age 18 and older. In any given year, about 3.3 million American adults. Uh, only 61.7% of adults with uh, MDD are receiving treatment. The average age of onset is 31 years old. And that's the National Institute of Mental Health, where that came from. Um, let's see what it says about related illnesses. Many people with an anxiety disorder um, also have a co-occurring disorder or physical illness, which can make their symptoms worse and recovery more difficult. It's essential to be treated for both disorders. Obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, and post-traumatic stress disorder are closely related to anxiety disorders, which some may experience at the same time along with depression. So all that stuff gets roped in together. Um, it's it's rough, guys. I mean, I you know I do have a little bit of uh, PTSD from the uh, Joplin, Missouri tornado when that happened, um, and severe anxiety and uh, depression. You know. And it's, it is, it's a, it's a beast. It's something that just takes over and turns you into a different person and you can't help it because it's just a brain chemistry difference. And, you know, as much as you would like for things to be normal and as much as you would like for, um, for your brain to work like everybody else's does, it just doesn't. And things have to be a little different for you to make you comfortable because of the way your brain processes and handles stress. Oh, excuse me. I got the yuck in my nose. Um, if we keep on reading down, it starts getting into uh, some stats on children. Which I don't think this website specifically designed for, so I'm not entirely sure how accurate that is, but we'll go ahead and uh, read on it. Anxiety disorders affect 25.1% of children between 13 and 18 years old, which is a pretty average adolescent age. That's uh, the expected ages of puberty, little less than on the 13-year-old. So that definitely will be a time whenever your brain chemistry is going to start changing on you. Um, research shows that untreated children with anxiety disorders are at higher risk to perform poorly in school, miss out on important social experiences, and engage in substance abuse which is kind of where I went down the road of, which, fuck it, I'm still still alive, still around today, so what else can you ask for, you know, honestly, we all go through things, we all do, anxiety disorders also often co-occur with uh, disorders such as depression, eating disorders, and attention, 
Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD. Um, older adults. Anxiety is a common among other adults as among the young. And generalized anxiety disorder is the most common anxiety disorder among older adults, though anxiety disorders in this population are frequently associated with traumatic events such as a fall or acute illness. So usually when people are older, uh, it's something, a specific situation that's happened that gives them anxiety is what this uh, is suggesting. Now, I'm not a doctor or any kind of medical professional. I'm just uh, a dude that likes to do research and likes to talk. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to give any kind of investment advice at all or, or anything like that whatsoever, but that's... Uh, that's what we're doing. We're just going to go through, like I said, I'm just kind of lifting up some of the information that's out there right now because it gives people statistics and stuff to think about. And I had somebody really close to me ask me, how do you communicate with somebody with anxiety? So, you know, this whole episode's just trying to explain it enough to where if somebody that doesn't understand it too well, you know, if you have a better idea on what it is, then that may give you the keys that you need to, uh, to successfully communicate and care for somebody that has these issues. You know, maybe it'll give you something different to look at, somebody that doesn't understand them much. So that's all the point of this is, not for me to give medical advice by any means, but just to go through and do that research and and uh, spit some of the facts for you guys and some people that are curious about this stuff. So anxiety disorders are treatable, and the vast majority of people with an anxiety disorder can be helped with professional care. Several standard approaches have proved effective. Uh, different things such as therapy, uh, in my case especially, medication, complementary and alternative treatments, and transcranial magnetic stimulation, which I've never gone through, but I can only imagine would be for severe cases of psychosis and things like that, probably. Um, and then we'll just go through and read this last little bit that they have on the website. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Almost 75% of people with mental disorders remain untreated in developing countries, with almost 1 million people taking their lives each year. In addition, according to the World Health Organization, or WHO, 1 in 13 globally suffers from anxiety. The WHO reports that anxiety disorders are the most common mental disorders worldwide with specific phobia, major depressive disorder, and social phobia being the most common anxiety disorders. So, you know, although it is a common thing, one could say, uh, for people in their brains, it's not such a common thing that everybody has it. And those who do have it don't want to seek attention with it. Most of the time, people who are depressed until it gets to a point of... Uh, contemplating suicide or seeing no way out or having a very down view on something. Um, that's going to be when you reach an extreme and you don't know what you can, you know, do about yourself anymore. The problem is trying to find how you can avoid being in that situation in the first place. And it's hard to do. So, um, in my case, like, I, like I've kind of tried to go on, whenever people communicate with me, if I'm having anxiety or depression, um, not assuming things is amazing, um, asking questions. If I say no, it means no. If I say sure, it means sure. 
Um, if I say I don't want to make a decision about it, please handle it. It doesn't mean 10 seconds later you say, okay, I don't know what I want to do, you pick. You know, and continuing to put all of that responsibility back on me when I'm having a situation where I'm anxious is only going to make it worse. Um, me as a person, I like kindness. I like to just communicate with people and try to talk with them one-on-one. Um, no hostility, no anger, no um, anything. Just a comfortable situation where you just feel like somebody's actually giving you the time of day to listen and appreciate what you're saying. Um, it makes a big thing. Small little acts to show that you care um, are a big thing too. So like, whenever I tell somebody, you know, like maybe one of my coping mechanisms or something that comforts me whenever I'm having like a situation or um, an outburst or whatever the case may be, whatever you want to call it. You know, it means a lot whenever people try to calm me down as in, hey, if you need anybody to talk to, I'm here. Or, you know, people that I've known for a really long time that uh, I trust enough to give me their opinion on stuff. It'll be the same kind of thing. I'll talk with them and, uh, you know, things like that I hold very valuable whenever I can have little outs, little um, vents, releases of steam from all the pressure, you know, and not explode and be able to talk with people and explain things. Um, or even just to be in a situation to where it's not a whole lot of pressure put on me. That's what's the most ideal that I look for, I think. Um, I don't like being uh, talked about behind my back, although it's not really a major thing. I just, uh, I like people that are straight up. So one of the biggest anxiety things to me is uh, trust. So it takes a while to earn my trust because I've gotten fucked over by people that were extraordinarily close to me before. I'm talking like potential marriage type stuff, you know. Um, So I don't trust very easily. I don't open up very easily. And when I do, and that trust is taken away, um, I have a common steady anxiety around that person. And it all stems from, I can't trust you. So if I lose trust for somebody and they do something dirty to me intentionally, I'm going to remember that and I'm going to have a very hard time responding to that in the future Um, because I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be around people that play games and fuck off and, you know, just are there to manipulate or torture or or make you feel like shit to make themselves feel better, whatever the case may be. You know, I'm not in the mood for all that business. Um, But what I do expect as a person is once you understand what anxiety is and you understand, um, you know, for me what it is, it's an impending doom, a fear, um, nervousness, it's just something that you can't get rid of. You, it's stuck there. It's, it's a new part of your thinking. Um, I want people to understand that those who actually suffer from it, it's mentally a devastating as hell. Uh, depression's also very negative. You can have so many projects lined up for yourself and do so many things and get started on stuff. And as soon as depression hits with the snap of a finger, it debilitates you and you no longer have drive to do anything. And it's a very difficult, uh, it's a very difficult mental illness to cope with. But for those who don't experience it, um, just try to, try to be supportive 
for those that are around you that do because they will see the effort and it will make them very happy um, that you at least are trying to understand. And if you don't, that, you know, you understand it's not something that that person's choosing to do. It's a mental disorder. So you are willing to look past that and to talk with them um, and to try to figure everything out with them. So that's going to be a big thing, feeling like we're not alone feeling like people understand, feeling like we're not monsters or inhuman because we have mental illnesses. Um, things like that are going to go a very long way for somebody who suffers with anxiety and depression um, or other kind of mental illnesses that, that have a say in that. Well, anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm going to leave it here. Um, but please, if you guys have any uh, yourselves, if you have any depression or anxiety, let me know on Twitter or go to the Goatman Show uh, main website, anchor.fm slash the Goatman Show. You can send me a voice message. Um, let's continue on with this episode. Let's talk about more things. Um, if you guys have different coping methods or different things that are beneficial to you, holler back at me and let me know. Let me play them so we can kind of talk about it and um, give other people help, you know, I mean, if there's people out there that have anxiety, let's do a whole nother episode on different ways to cope with it. So maybe if there is somebody listening that has it and doesn't know what it is yet, um, maybe there's something they can try that'll change their lives. Um, just holler at me guys. You know, if you have anything else you want to add on this, you know, I'm all about it. I'm all about talking with you. Um, I try to get some guests on the show. It's not always that easy. Um, my recording times are different than, a lot of people's times so you know we try to make it mesh when we can uh but it's not always perfect a lot of times it's just me sitting here talking to my dog and he sleeps because he don't care but the only way i don't feel crazy is by uh you know i gotta tell somebody this shit so it's him he's a very smart dog now because he listens to a lot of stuff <laughs> all right guys i love you be safe it is uh, officially the day after Christmas. So Merry Christmas. Hope everything went well for you guys. 2020, it's almost over. Let's pray that we have a better year next year. Going to have one more show out this year. I'm going to have a New Year's Eve special. Uh, and then we will pump out some stuff before my birthday in January. Much love and respect to everybody. We'll talk to you later. Have a great day. Good night. Don't shit yourself and don't forget to wipe. That's all, folks. Thanks for listening to The Goatman Show with Chris DeGoat. Subscribe and leave a review if you'd be so inclined. Until next time. <laughs> Chris DeGoat, he has a podcast, yeah. Chris DeGoat, it's called The Goatman Show. He's a Capricorn hippie, banjo-loving hillbilly. He lives in Missouri. It's The Goatman Show, yeah. <laughs>